Hello and welcome to Such Sights to See, the podcast about journeying through cinema with my good friend, Eric, the Nancy Allen to my Brian De Palma. How are you doing? At least I've heard of one of those people. Actually, both, maybe? Both? Do I know who Nancy Allen is? Please tell me if I know. Yes, you would know her by sight. Is she from Indiana Jones? No. No? No. No. (laughs) No. She's from Robocop. I know you've seen oh, that. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and she's from uh, three Murph. or four De Palma movies. We work together a lot. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, again, this is our podcast about uh, us watching movies together. You know, we pick a movie every week and then we each watch it and then watch something inspired by that. Uh, my name is Patrick. You can follow me on Letterboxd on Long Monkey. And uh, yeah, let's talk about some movies. I saw a bunch this week. Besides our main topic, how about you? How was your your uh, time since last episode? You know, I managed to squeeze my normal one in. I, I really let you carry the team on this <laughs> watching nice. movies thing. I know, right? For a person who... Hey, you got, you got to watch three movies at least since last uh, episode. So that's good. You got that's one, true. you got our main topic, and then your inspiration. So can't ask for anything more than that. All right, so I'll jump in then because I have more than you. First thing I want to talk about is a movie called Blood Games. Blood well, that Games. That sounds like fun. <laughs> yeah, it was pretty fun. It is from 1990, um, directed by Tanya Rosenberg, and it looks like a movie that's from the 70s. It's pure exploitation. It's about a this traveling team of female softball players that kind of travel around doing shows. They all wear their short shorts and crop tops, and they do sexy softball for like guys' birthday parties and stuff. So they go to this like redneck town and they have a softball game and things get a little out of hand and um, there is some sexual assault involved and then the women kill somebody and then they're on the run from these hicks for most of the movie. And it's about them, you know, uh, trying to turn the tables on these horrible guys. It's very trashy, but it's not as exploitative as I thought it would be based on that description. Mm, it sounds very exploity. Yeah, it is. It is. Don't get me wrong. And it is rough to watch some of it, but it's actually got a lot of energy, a lot of good shots. It's directed by this person. Tanya Rosenberg never made another movie. I don't know. She had a sort of had a, maybe a women's eye on some of these issues that, that kept it a little, uh, l- less trashy than you would expect. (laughs) So is there at any point in the movie? um, I think I'm off my game tonight. I don't know, but there's got to be a joke in there. Like when softball becomes hardball or something (laughs) like that. Maybe in the, maybe in the trailer, but no, not in the movie. Unfortunately, there was some fun, a lot of fun lines. I think you would have enjoyed this one. Um, It also stars Laura Albert, who is a famous stunt woman. So this is before she was a stunt woman. She was just, uh, you know, when he's just an actress doing a sexy softball movie. Sounds like this movie turned a lot of people off to their original intended careers in film. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's a fun one. I recommend it if you like that sort of thing. Uh, next movie I'll talk about before kicking it over to you is Ganjiam Haunted Asylum. This is definitely a movie you would not watch because it's subtitled. Boo. But <laughs> it's for a friend of mine is doing this horror fest 
where every Friday during October he's playing a movie, and he picked this one for last Friday. So Ganjiam Haunted Asylum from 2018, directed by Zhang Boomshik. It's a found footage movie about this group of ghost hunters, live streaming ghost hunters who go to this supposedly haunted asylum to record it and live stream it for their audiences in an effort to get to 1 million views. That's like their goal, 1 million live views. So the person in charge is kind of like, you know, ramping up the, uh, the tension by doing some shady things to the, uh, the, the people who are doing the actual reporting, you know, pretending that there's ghosts and things. But it all hinges around this one room in the asylum, which has a sordid history, and no one's ever been in that room. The people that have tried to get in that room have gone crazy and killed themselves. Uh, so yeah, you can kind of picture where this goes as I try to get into that room and and the, the fake ghost hauntings turn into real ghost hauntings. It's a solid found footage movie nothing special except for one or two scenes which were really creepy but otherwise it's kind of uh everything you would expect yeah i don't know if you're a fan of found footage i'm i'm so tired of them at this point yeah yeah i agree this one did have the uh i guess the good gimmick is that they're live streaming it so that they're purposely setting up nice shots throughout the whole thing. So it's yeah, not just I, handheld camera. It's so funny how something went from so novel with like the mm. Blair Witch project, I think was, I mean, I'm sure there were found footage style yeah. first person point of view movies. Kind of Holocaust. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. But like, mm. it just seemed like they exploded after the success yes. of Blair Witch in 1999. Mm-hmm. And they very quickly, at least with me, like war, the novelty wore off and there are still some pretty good ones. I've heard really good things about VHS, um, which I think there are a bunch of those now. Yeah. It's like four, you know, paranormal activity was also like the, at least the first one or two were pretty good, but I just, I don't know. Yeah. I, I so overdone the same at this boat. point. <laughs> yeah. If, uh, you know, this one doesn't do anything special, but at least it has the the good camera shots, which is my main problem with found footage movies. It's the people mm-hmm. holding the camera are not filmmakers, so you know it it doesn't it looks amateurish or it's hard to follow what's happening, or you only have one camera to follow. So, um, I do like Chronicle, the superhero one. That one was really good. I really enjoyed yeah, that's that. Probably, that's probably my favorite found footage. With Dane DeHaan, right? The the group yeah, of kids that they get yep. the uh, the superpowers. Yes. Yeah, that was pretty good. And that one also had the good gimmick of uh, he had telekinesis, so he can make the camera float behind him and have perfectly steady, cool shots. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So it's like uh, you have to come up with a gimmick when you make a gimmicky movie like that. You also have to come up with a secondary gimmick to make it not tired and overdone mm-hmm. at this point for some of that stuff. Right, right. Yeah, uh, I completely agree. And Ganjam has that that gimmick with the live stream. So effective things in it, but overall nothing special. Gave it two and a half stars. Uh, yeah, let's kick it over to you so I don't have to talk so much. So yeah, it's spooky season for me. Um, and one of the genres that I really enjoy 
that I think doesn't get enough play is the horror comedy, which, you know, I think you can do very effectively. And this is a movie that I hadn't seen before, but I've seen trailers for, and I'm excited that there's a sequel. I watched finally uh, The Babysitter, which is, I believe, a Netflix original. Um directed by a guy i i want to punch myself for just having to say mick g because that is just <laughs> the douchiest name you can possibly have i know i know starring um samara weber i think is the only one that people would probably know oh robbie amell has been in a couple of things bella thorne who is a person i don't even know why they're famous um but it's kind of a classic take on that. You know, there's this nerdy little kid. He's getting bullied at school, but he's got a really hot babysitter. And of course, he's in love with his babysitter and his parents are going away. Uh, Ken Marino from the state and a bunch of those like role models movies is also in this as his dad. Hilarious. Oh, like he's probably <laughs> only in it for about a minute and a half or two minutes of screen time, but just hilarious. Right. Um. And, you know, the, the babysitter has a group of friends over and the kid thinks, you know, he's 12 years old. He's like, oh, I bet they're going to have an orgy. But it <laughs> turns out that his babysitter is unclear whether she's just like a Satan worshiper or a witch or something, but definitely doing some kind of dark rituals and wants to use this kid's blood to fuel her dark rituals to fulfill her wildest dreams. And it's kind of like part home alone part horror movie uh just a really really fun fun movie to watch okay okay i've uh never really seen a mick g movie that i really liked um you know the charlie's angels series he did that he did the Termin the worst terminator i think terminator salvation oh god that was real bad yeah um and he apparently made two babysitter movies there's a sequel <laughs> there is a sequel i'm i'm excited to watch that well, maybe I'll give this one a shot. If you like, yeah, it, I mean, it's it nothing well. special, but I thought it was funny, and yeah. you know, for what it is, it was had some entertaining death scenes. Hey, that's what you need those in horror movies. Yeah, and it had oh, the other person in it who is an actress I don't know her name, but if you've seen, have you seen Pitch Perfect? Yes. So you remember the character who's the asian girl who says the really creepy weird things yes very very softly <laughs> yep and she just kind of like mumbles horrific things she's in this and she actually speaks normally so you know okay cool thumbs up okay. i'd give it a three of five at least nice well i'm glad you're uh got to see something fun during spooky season that's always good i've every movie so far i've talked about has been a horror movie because I'm also knee deep in spooky season. And uh, the next two I'll talk about at the same time. I watched the original 1931 Frankenstein directed by James Whale. Have you seen this? I think you, I can picture you I, watching it in school you know, or something. <laughs> I wouldn't be shocked if I saw it at some point. I definitely remember watching the original Nosferatu at some point, but okay. I, I couldn't say either way definitively. Well, I watched that, and I also watched Bride of Frankenstein, also by James Whale. Um, first time I've seen them, I've read the book. I enjoy the book. I enjoy the concept of Frankenstein, and this movie does it justice, for sure. It is, 
a pre-code movie, which I didn't really, I, I kind of knew it was pre-code, but I didn't expect it to have some of those pre-code trappings of the, um, it's a little more disturbing than you'd think. It's a little sexier than you would think. And it's, uh, it's so sad. That's the thing that got me. Frankenstein's such a sad, well, Frankenstein's monster is such a sad character. And, uh, you know, this thing that was created and has to just, just wants to make friends and find its place in the world and everybody hates it and then tries to kill it. So it starts killing people. Of course it's going to. And what this movie does so well is get you to feel for the monster. And well, why are you calling him a monster? (laughs) That's true. That's you're part of the problem right now. (laughs) Oh man. I am part of the problem. This creature, you feel for it. You feel for him. And when he starts killing people, you're like, damn straight. You should kill that guy. Cause he was mean to you. And so it's like a movie that really makes you root for the, the horror, the horror, which is cool. And James Whale's a good director. He got that, that whole, uh, I don't know, like that Gothic mad scientist thing down. He invented that basically with this movie and it's perfect. It's great. Bride of Frankenstein is even wilder than the original. It's, uh, it starts with a wraparound story. I didn't know this of Mary Shelley and who are the other people from uh, that, that writing contest where she wrote Frankenstein. Can we just talk about for one brief second while you look this up, how wild it is that basically the entire genre of modern horror was pioneered by like a 19 year old girl. Yeah. 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 I know. Right. It's a woman. I apologize, Mm -hmm. Uh, but it's just, you know, uh, such a male dominated, I guess Mm -hmm. probably at that time, almost everything was, uh, but continues to be a male dominated field was actually pioneered. I just think that's great. Yeah. Yeah. Especially for that time. Right. So yeah, it's a Lord Byron. Um, So that's part of that whole writing contest where Frankenstein was written and it starts with a wraparound story of, of them talking about the book she wrote. And then she's like, well, I have an idea for a sequel. And she starts telling the story of the Bride of Frankenstein. And then we flash to the actual movie of the Bride of Frankenstein. And that's crazy. There's a lot going on in that one. It's more comedic. It's got the this mad scientist who creates tiny people. He grows them out of cultures. This is not Dr. Frankenstein. This is Dr. Pretorius who grows tiny people out of cultures and wants to work with Dr. Frankenstein to create the ultimate uh, creature using both of their methods. And meanwhile, the Frankenstein monster, the Frankenstein creature is wandering the countryside, trying to make friends with people and having to kill them because no one likes it. Uh, And he just wants, uh, he just wants the doctor to make him someone that could be his friend. He wants his bride of Frankenstein. And I won't tell you how it ends because it's a great ending. But these yeah, are spoilers movies. on like a 90 year old movie. <laughs> I know, right? But I, I will not because people should watch this. It, it, these two movies are really great and I enjoyed them thoroughly. So uh, I'll talk about one more unless you have anything else. No, I, I you know, I, I minimum effort. Minimum effort, maximum entertainment value. That's what we get out of you. Yeah, that's it. (laughs) 
<laughs> I watched the, this is something you may have seen, the new Firestarter from 2022. I haven't seen it. Ah, okay. Keith it is Thomas one of the few book. Stephen King books that I haven't read. Okay. I read it a long time ago, so I don't know how closely this conforms to the uh, to the book. I also don't know how closely it conforms to the original film, because I don't think I've ever seen it. Uh, this one does not star Drew Barrymore. It stars um, a girl called Ryan Kiera Armstrong. And Zac Efron is the dad. He's kind of, those are the two main characters. Zac Efron doing dad roles nowadays. That's so old. weird. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, I think the movie, it's it's got a 1.8 on Letterboxd, which I'm really surprised about because it's not bad. It's a solid um you know super super powered girl on the run movie (laughs) uh this girl has special powers because her parents were in this um study when they were in college where they were injected with some some chemical that supposedly would enhance their abilities and they met and had a child and that's the the uh, main character of this movie, a girl who could start fires with her mind. And they're on the run from this organization that wants them. And the organization eventually finds them. And uh, yeah, she has to use her powers to get revenge, get out of there alive. A bunch of cool set pieces happen from there. But what was interesting to me is that the movie was pretty... um, morally dark (laughs) you know there's this like there's a scene where the girl acts like a cat scratches this girl and she accidentally sets it on fire because she can't really control her powers and then the cat is lying there smoking and burnt but still alive and then the father's like all right you gotta put it out of its misery now (laughs) (laughs) it's just kind of like dark stuff you know um and I appreciated that. It felt like it got the Stephen King vibe. It yeah. was a bit slow and it didn't really do anything super uh, unique to separate it from, you know, any other, you know, s- story out there. So I gave it two and a half stars, but I enjoyed watching it. It did have music by John Carpenter. Oh, cool. Yeah. Yeah. So it sounded like a movie from like the seventies or eighties, like he would do. Who made the original? Because I've never seen the original either. Uh, let's look that one up. I don't think it was anybody. Um... So it wasn't John Carpenter and he just came back to score the remake of his own film or something? Uh, it was Mark L. Lester. Who I know that know name. Because he directed Predator? Commando. Oh, Commando. Yeah. yeah. This guy's got a pretty good... Uh, Filmography, Commando, Firestarter, Class of 1984, which is great. Showdown in Little Tokyo, which sounds like a movie right up your alley. We'll, we'll have to have a Lesterthon one of these days. <laughs> a Lesterthon. <laughs> I like it. All right. Well, uh, before we get to our Lesterthon, let's get to our main topic. So, the first episode of this podcast, I talked about the Hellraiser series. So for this episode, we chose to do the new Hellraiser movie. Call back to the first episode. Did we choose or did it choose us? That is very, very good point. 
So let me give you a quick little summary of Hellraiser. Hellraiser, 2022, directed by David Bruckner. Riley, young woman played by Odessa Asian, comes into possession of a cool box that stabs blades into people. When her brother goes missing, no one believes her when she claims that the box has taken him into a realm of endless torment. This event triggers a series of choices she will have to make as the blade box continues to stab people. With the help of her kooky roommates and trustworthy boyfriend, she must unlock the secrets of the blade box without getting stabbed. This leads to a fight with an evil millionaire, various run-ins with skin-peeling BDSM demons, and a chance to hopefully bring her brother back into the real world. So, Eric, what did you think of Hellraiser? It was fine. Oh, okay, okay. I, so... I intentionally haven't, I came late to Hellraiser. Mm-hmm. That was a movie that I didn't really see. One of the few that I didn't see as a child. Um, I was much more the Freddy Krueger Friday the 13th. And then I think I only saw Hellraiser for the first time, maybe about 15 years ago. Mm-hmm. And I intentionally did not rewatch it before seeing the remake because I kind of wanted the remake to stand on its own. And it's the one that I'm the least familiar with. And, you know, I just thought it was okay. I'm not sure I have a whole lot to say about it, except, you know, without getting too spoilery, I did think that the the twist was kind of cool, but the whole plan was very convoluted and um, nonsensical. The plan of the, the millionaire, millionaire and the, okay. and the boyfriend and the whole thing. I don't know how spoilery you want to get. Yeah, we can get uh, 100% spoiler filled for our main okay. segments. So the movie opens with this cool scene. Well, I guess it opens with with a woman buying the box, but then it like very quickly moves on to this cool scene at the party at this rich millionaire's house. Yes. And there's uh, a young guy and he gets lured into this room and he gets tricked into opening this puzzle box and getting dragged to hell. Mm-hmm. And this is the final stage. They have changed from what I remember. They've changed the lore of this box where now once you open the final configuration, you get a choice of like which gift you want from the Cenobites. Right. Um, so he chooses his gift and then it cuts to this whole story that uh, Long Monkey just mentioned <laughs> about this girl coming into the, the puzzle box, you know, her boyfriend kind of like sets it up like a heist where they get this box. And then, you know, she, she immediately becomes obsessed with it. It's implied or stated that she is a former, I believe drug addict. I'm not sure if they were really go into what her addiction or issue is, mm-hmm. um, but she immediately becomes obsessed with this box and starts trying to solve it. And then, you know, her brother kicks her out of the apartment, but finds her on a playground after she got really high and opened the box kind of. Yeah. And then, you know, eventually they end up at this house where the movie started a really cool house with all those cool designs that you would recognize if you've seen the Hellraiser box, like that cool kind of geometric labyrinthine kind of shape. Yes. And it turns out that this millionaire has been living with some kind of crazy machine in his chest that's twisting his nerves. And this was all set up by her boyfriend. She was a mark to open the box because he needs to open. I believe there are six stages of the box. So six people have to die 
before he can take the box and then get his wish from the Cenobites, which is to remove this piece. It just seemed like an awful long way to go when you could just solve the box and stab someone else with it. <laughs> I, I agree with that. I do. I was chalking that up to the, the contraption inside him that was twisting his nerves and making him not able to do things properly, maybe even to think properly. But yeah, it's a long way to go to set up the movie. But I thought that once the, not counting that setup, I thought the movie was very effective. I love the vibe of Hellraiser from the original. And this movie kind of gets that vibe. It, it's on the same wavelength. With the yes. Cenobites and the and the and just like this, I don't know. It's like heavy metal, uh, gothic combo thing that just like a this demonic feeling you get just from seeing all these images. It that that really worked for me. Yes, I love. I think the really interesting thing about the Cenobites and the Hellraiser lore mm-hmm. is that they are neither. They're they're these. Um, you know, visions of evil, but they're not actually evil. Mm-hmm. You know, they're right. kind of these right. neutral figures who just like, well, you open the box and this is what you get. Yeah, yeah, that's true. They're very straightforward in, in, in um, what they do. They're just like, hey, we provide pain. Pain is delicious to us. And that's what you get. <laughs> yes. Yeah. And uh, what, is, what is the famous line? We explore the outer realms of sensation or something along those lines, mm-hmm. yeah, which yeah. is uh, and the other classic pinhead line was um, we are demons to some, but angels to others, because there are people who are into that. And that's how you become a Cenobite. Yeah. Yeah. Which is kind of how that millionaire guy made the mistake. He was like, I want endless pleasure. And they're like, all right. We love pain, so here's your endless pain. <laughs> That's yep. pleasure to us. And yeah, I think all that was really great. I thought the creature design was really well done. I really love the new look Cenobites. Yeah. Yeah, they were creepy. The I don't I haven't seen all the old Hellraiser movies. So I don't know if this whole six configurations of the box was made up earlier. I don't know if this is like technically a sequel or not. But it worked I, for this movie. Yes. I, I thought that was a cool little twist in. So I have also only seen the first like three or maybe four. And even mm-hmm. the like the first two are what I remember the most of. And like I said, probably my least well known of those bigger horror series from back in the day. Um, yeah. But yeah, I just remember like you saw the Lament configuration, which is what it's called. The Le, Le Marchand box. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they come. I don't remember anything about, um, you know, multiple configurations and choosing your right. gift in the, that good very well. I think I remember in my after the fact research, a.k.a. watching tons of YouTube videos about the Cenobites. <laughs> um, <laughs> that must have been a creepy night. <laughs> oh, yeah. Uh, creepy couple nights, actually. <laughs> I have so much so many more sites to see. Um <laughs> But I think I remember there are like nine or ten movies now. Probably not even including this one because a lot of the videos were made before this most recent one. But there's also like a heck ton of graphic novels and a bunch of other stuff that really firms out a lot of the lore. Um, Mm -hmm. 
but the the impression I got was that this was new, which is a cool wrinkle. Yeah, and I kind of want to know what the other gifts are because one of the other gifts is uh, Lazarus or resurrection. Right. And which I kind of want to know how it reminds me of all those stories about, uh, you know, granting wishes and the monkey's and paw, the monkey's paw. Yeah. That's the famous yeah. one um, where, okay, you're going to get your wish, but it's not going to be what you think it is. So how are they going to twist resurrection or some of these like i hope they they make more sequels and that they delve into what those other you know rewards are because at the end i thought that her uh expression at the end you know she she chooses uh lamentation because she decides she doesn't want the gifts um she saw what they did to the other guy and then he chooses a second gift and he gets taken away in chains and mm-hmm. she decides she she's just gonna let her brother you know he's gone and i don't yes. want any of these gifts, which I guess is the right answer because they're just like, you're choosing a life of pain, which is a really, really nihilistic view of life in general. Um, (laughs) But she just gets to go live her life. And then there's a scene in the car and somebody says, you know, did you make the right choice? And she definitely looks like she doubts it. Yeah. Which I mean, I don't know. I'd consider not being flayed for all of eternity to probably be the right choice, but I wonder (laughs) what some of those other things are. Uh, agreed. Yeah. There's a lot to explore there. And uh, yeah, she definitely made the right choice, but you know, having to give up your, your brother is uh tough, maybe not for you or I, but <laughs> <laughs> I would you know. give your brother. Up. Sorry, Todd. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, so, um, yeah, it's, a. Uh, that whole buildup to that decision works really well. There are some plot devices I didn't quite like, like, like you said, when they, we, when they revealed the whole plan of the millionaire and that her boyfriend was in on it. I'm like, eh, okay, that's a little thin, but everything else worked. Yeah. Like why, how much cooler would it have been if it was just like that first party? Mm-hmm. But you know, the whole movie and you could still do all of her grappling with demons. Like she's at this party, these weird things are happening, but she's trying not to do drugs. You know, like you could have just right. had a really long, bunch of uh that could have been the whole setup was that like opening party so i just thought it was you know there's this mythical like millionaire where at his house nobody knows where he is nobody's seen him in years and then you find out that's why because he's got this effing thing in his chest (laughs) which was pretty creepy and cool yeah yeah creepy and cool like i liked the almost i don't know uh steampunky geiger look of a lot of the uh of yes. that thing in his chest and the, the Cenobites. Mm-hmm. I kept pulling his nerves. This is a hard movie to watch with some of that tortury stuff, uh, which yeah. is kind of what Hellraiser should be. I think I, I agree. I didn't think it was as bad as a lot of the saw movies. That's true. Saw movies is definitely like purposely like that's all they're doing. Hellraiser has, that's just part of it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I like the message in in help. Not the message. I don't know if that's the message, but you know, to get back to the the Cenobites, the the fact that they're just kind of doing their thing, not really evil or well, definitely not good, but not necessarily <laughs> evil. But the people who are seeking these further planes are the ones who are evil, right? And uh, and I agree. I'm glad you put it that way because that's something that really grounds the series. It's it's really about the people calling upon these horrible demons to do things. Yeah. 
and in some so, ways getting kind of what they deserve. Yeah. Yeah. So what did you uh, rate this one? I would say uh, 3.5 to 4, maybe somewhere in that range. Oh, nice. Yeah, I gave it a 3.5. So we're right on the same same plane of existence, you and I. Yeah. Future <laughs> Cenobites in training. Yes. <laughs> uh, I, I don't want to be the one with the uh, skin pulled over his eyes. <laughs> yeah, hard pass on that. Yeah. I mean, you could split my head down the middle and pull the skin away from my brain, but I'd like to be able to see. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I don't know Such about the. I don't see. want to be the chatterer, which is apparently the name. These things all have names. Uh, they do. They do. So that was the one that was, I believe, also in the first and or second one with just the teeth. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that constantly one snapping harder. teeth. Don't want to be that guy because I'm not a fan of dental work, but you know. That probably just means that's exactly what I would be. The weeper and the gasp. And the asphyx. All right. Well, uh, yeah, let's move on to what we watch inspired by Hellraiser. Would you like to go first? Sure. Uh, I again watched, after watching Hellraiser, I had to watch a horror comedy. Just to, (laughs) you know, kind of a palate cleanser. This is a movie from 2019 that I've had my eye on for a while uh, by Mark Myers. I know nothing about him starring Alexandra Daddario. I thought it would also be, you know, a summony kind of thing because it's called We Summon the Darkness. Spoiler alert, they summon nothing. So that was sad to me, but it was takes place in the 80s. It's a satanic panic kind of movie, which is another one of like my pet things that I just love anything to do with the satanic panic, because I think it's so wild that that was a thing where D and D and heavy metal are going to make people worship the devil. Um, And that's exactly what this movie is about. These three girls are going to a heavy metal show and there's all this stuff in the background about how all of these suburban kids are, you know, murder suiciding each other. And they're all these heavy metal kids and they're at this metal show and they meet this other group of, you know, three guys and they decide to go back to the party and then plot twist. It's the girls who are killing everyone. You think the whole time, like, Oh, it's going to be these guys. They're doing something shady in their van. They're obsessed with these murders that are happening. And then it turns out that it's the girls. And there's a further twist in that the Alexandra Daddario's character her father is played by Johnny Knoxville, which is just wild, um, <laughs> is a TV preacher. And they're actually doing this because they are trying to get people to join their church. It's like one of those mega TV churches. Um, so okay. they're they're feeding the satanic panic to try to get people to, you know, their father is the shady preacher. So fun movie. Mm. I really enjoyed it. Okay. Was it better than Hellraiser? No, I mean it's so hard to compare though, because they're different. Okay, yeah. yeah, this yeah, uh, Hellraiser is definitely not lighthearted. <laughs> yeah, this was totally just like I don't know that I will ever watch it again. I don't know that I'll ever feel like I need to watch it again, but right. just a good time. Okay, good, good. With some of the darkness, sounds interesting at least. All right, well I went a different route. So Hellraiser is a remake, remake slash reboot slash sequel of. Um, one of my favorite horror movies from one of my favorite horror writers. So I watched the same thing. 
a remake reboot sequel of Carrie. I watched the 2013 version of Carrie directed by Kimberly Pierce. Now Carrie, the original by Brian De Palma is one of my favorites of all time. One of the best horror movies I've ever seen. And is it because they all laughed at you in high school? <laughs> yeah, I, I know. And that time you dumped the blood on me. Yeah. It, it's very personal. <laughs> you were asking for it. <laughs> so this movie has a lot to live up to, but it's directed by Kimberly Pierce, the director of boys don't cry. So I thought that it would, that she would kind of bring a different like feminist angle to, to carry There's something a little interesting and different to the original story. Unfortunately it doesn't. The movie is not a shot for shot remake, but it's a beat for beat remake of the original. Like I'm not joking. The there's a different opening scene where we see the mother this time played by Julianne Moore giving birth to Carrie, which is a creepy scene. But then after that, it's like everything that happens in the first movie happens in this movie, just in kind of basically the same way you get the shower scene from the beginning where Carrie has her period for the first time. And then you get the girls being punished for, you know, throwing tampons at her (laughs) and like, it's just beat for beat the same exact movie. Except it's not directed by Brian De Palma, <laughs> and it doesn't have the music of uh, Pino Donaggio, who did incredible music for the first movie. So it kind of just feels a little lackluster. Yeah, I can never decide. First of all, I'm just not in general a huge fan of remakes. Mm-hmm. But I, I can never decide, like... What's the point of doing that? I can never decide yeah. what is better between, okay, you're, you're remaking a movie, like, should you completely veer off in a different direction? Or, you know, do you do kind of a shot for shot, scene for scene, you know, mm-hmm. update? And I just mm-hmm. don't know that either one of those is effective. Agreed. I, I was hoping that, like I said, that this would just be like a new angle on the story. Because the story is a great story by itself. It's universal. Maybe, uh, I mean, it's yeah. like that high school alienation. Who doesn't mm-hmm. feel that even popular kids? Yeah, you know? yeah. And then you just maybe tell it from a slightly different perspective or just hit like, you know, emphasize di- things differently. But I felt like this didn't do that. And the first movie is such an exercise in style. And this one, if I saw this movie without having seen the first one, I would have liked it more. I would have been like, all right, this is a good solid horror movie. Definitely the ending where Carrie goes crazy and starts killing people had some cool imagery. Um, well framed shots, really cool uh, um, things to look at in the frame. Just uh, so Chloe Grace Moretz plays Carrie in the new one. Yes. Yep. Sissy Spacek was in the original Sissy Spacek definitely had this like um, very innocent, very quiet, reserved, scared girl thing going on perfectly. And Chloe Grace Moretz, I don't know if I like her as an actress, to be honest. She hasn't been in anything that I've enjoyed her performance since uh, she played Hit Girl. <laughs> so, <laughs> so it's like, I don't know. She she was fine. She didn't do anything horrible, but like, there's definitely something missing. It felt pretty two dimensional. You know, it was just a, a girl who was kind of beaten down and then uh, gets her revenge. 
Yeah. And I felt like Sissy Spacek brought like this whole other dimension to the character that this, this didn't have. Yeah. I just re- listened to the book um, for the first time because I'm catching up on my backlog of Stephen King did not reads mm-hmm. and it was phenomenal. And I thought the first movie did a really good job of capturing the book. Um, mm-hmm. It's probably one of his more filmable books, Stephen King. So okay. I'd imagine that the remake would hold up as well, especially if it was the same thing. But like you said, if there's nothing new, then what's the point? Agreed. Agreed. I've been trying to read some reviews of it to see if I missed something. Some people are saying like that this carry is much more tragic than the first carry. I couldn't really, it didn't, that didn't really fly for me. It felt yeah, it it just felt the same, but less style and substance. So, unfortunately, I gave it a two out of five. Like I said, if I had seen this without seeing the original, it probably would have been a three out of five. But didn't like just nothing, nothing new. Just watch the original, in my opinion. What movie did we just talk about? I feel like a few episodes ago that we thought was a good homage, which I think is probably the way to go. Do you remember? I don't remember? I don't remember, but like we just talked about Hellraiser, which fit for me. <laughs> like it's not a remake, but it, it had a new story with the same sort of stuff that we've seen in all the other Hellraiser movies and just did it in a more in a fun way. I don't know what we were talking about though. Do you remember that we had that conversation? I would like to say yes, but honestly, no, I don't remember this conversation. Well, then, just cut this whole part out. <laughs> well, maybe if we have a listener who could uh, remind us of what we're talking about, uh, you know, contact us. We will, we will uh, get to the bottom of this. Hmm. All right. So uh, anything on the horizon for you, Eric? Anything you're looking forward to seeing? It just came out this weekend. I'm looking forward to seeing Black Adam. It's getting very mixed reviews from what I understand, but I'll see anything that The Rock is in. Yeah, I I also heard uh, mixed reviews, and I did see an Onion headline today, (laughs) and the headline was (laughs) Black Adam, last chance for something to go right in Dwayne Johnson's miserable life. I love Dwayne Johnson. I feel like he is the closest thing we've had. And I think it's tailed off a bit, but for a while um, he was the closest thing we've had to like that eighties level of Schwarzenegger Stallone, where just everything he was in was really entertaining and just seems like, you know, just a really entertaining guy making pretty fun action movies. Yeah. Yeah. I think I'm a more miss than hit with him in the past five years or so ever since the, he left the Fast and Furious franchise. <laughs> but, but, yeah, well, that's I why you're, you're, you're a woman scorned. <laughs> I'm a woman scorned. You, just you and make Vin up Diesel should Diesel. just get together and cry about it. <laughs> just hug it out, bros. Do it. <laughs> oh, man. All right. Well, I am looking forward to a 24-hour horror-thon, which I may or may not have already attended through the magic of editing. But next episode, we will be talking about the Exhume Films 24-hour horrorathon. 24 hours of straight horror movies in the theater, noon to noon. Uh, everything on 35 millimeter, 
nothing is announced and you won't know what it is until it starts playing. It's my favorite day of the year. I am super excited. You should read the clues. They give you clues, right? Like, Oh yeah. Maybe, maybe uh, in the episode we will read the clue and then uh, talk about the movie. Hmm. You know what my personal 24 hour horror-thon would be? What's that? 24 hours of PT Anderson movies. <laughs> I don't know if we're I there would yet. be I would be solving a puzzle box and just waiting for the Cenobites. <laughs> like, for some relief. The... <laughs> I need that last configuration. <laughs> uh okay. Well, uh yeah. We will talk about some horror movies. Maybe we'll talk about a PT Anderson movie. Maybe we'll have a special guest who loves PT Anderson. We will God see. Damn it. <laughs> All right. I think we could bring this episode to a close. Eric, is there anything you'd like to plug? Uh, no. Well, as for me, I'm on Letterboxd, Long Monkey, and check out my other projects at proleary.com. I guess we'll see everybody next episode. So in the meantime, have a good night and sweet dreams. <laughs>